reading Revelation 13. The dragon stood on the shore of the sea, and I saw a beast coming out of the sea. It had ten horns and seven heads, with ten crowns on its horns, and on each head a blasphemous name. The beast I saw resembled a leopard, but had feet like those of a bear and a mouth like that of a lion. The dragon gave the beast his power and his throne and great authority. One of the heads of the beast seemed to have had a fatal wound, but the fatal wound had been healed. The whole world was filled with wonder and followed the beast. People worshipped the dragon because he had given authority to the beast. And they also worshipped the beast and asked, Who is like the beast? Who can wage war against it? The beast was given a mouth to utter proud words and blasphemy blasphemies and to exercise its authority for 42 months. It opened its mouth to blaspheme God and to slander his name and his dwelling place and those who lived in heaven, who live in heaven. It was given power to wage war against God's holy people and to conquer them. And it was given authority over every tribe, people, and language and nation. All inhabitants of the earth will worship beast all whose names have not been written in the Lamb's book of life, the Lamb who was slain from the creation of the world. Whoever has ears, let them hear. If anyone is to go into captivity, into captivity they will go. If anyone is to be killed with the sword, with the sword they will be killed. This calls for patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of God's people. Then I saw a second beast, Coming out of the earth, it had two horns like a lamb, but it spoke like a dragon. It exercised all the authority of the first beast on its behalf, and made the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose fatal wound had been healed. And it performed great signs, even causing fire to come down from heaven to the earth in full view of, of the people. Because of the signs, it was given power to perform on behalf of the first beast. It deceived the inhabitants of the earth. It ordered them to set up an image in honor of the beast who was wounded by the sword and yet lived. The second beast was given power to give breath to the, to the image of the first beast, so that the image could speak and cause all who refused to worship the image to be killed. It also forced all, the peop all people, great and small, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hands or on their foreheads so that they could not buy or sell unless they had the mark, which is the name of the beast or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Let the person who has insight calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. That number is 666. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right. <clears throat> At Ecclesia City, we say that we are a gathered people in the city for the renewal of all things. Right. And we're united by a common narrative, and that common narrative is... <laughs> the key. Again, we're united by the common narrative, which is... <laughs> and we seek to be unified in living out the Romans 12 ideal an ethical outworking of this through abiding with zealous devotion, serving with sincere love, and remembering with humble peacemaking. And we started this year by going through our first ethic, 
which is serving with sincere love, then took a seven-week journey through uh, the seven churches of Revelation as we talked about abide with zealous devotion. And we're now in the middle of walking through our third ethic, remember with humble peacemaking. Remembering helps us weave meaning throughout our abiding and serving, stitching together a full picture of God's calling on our, on our lives as a Romans 12 people. And the reason why we do, why, why we remember is, is because we start every day drifting toward our selfish desires and our culture's narratives. And this is going to be incredibly important today as we remember or as we look into Revelation 13. We get distracted by the things of this world, misplacing our identity and purpose. Remembering is a powerful then antidote to drifting. It reorients our minds and hearts back to the love and mission of the kingdom as we remember God's nature, as we remember his word, and we remember his work. And remembering secures our hearts in the knowledge of uh, his nature and what he has done for us. And remembrance then comes, becomes an, uh, becomes an art of constant reflection and practice where we allow the reflection of his nature and work to influence our actions and draw us back to his mission. And so at a heart that remembers then is a courageous heart equipped to disarm one of the enemy's most powerful tactics. And this is the enemy's most powerful tactics, not to get you to believe that there is no God, but to forget about him. And as we look to Jesus then, uh, he teaches us to be more like him. Now, we started this journey of walking through uh, Revelation in February, uh, as I already mentioned. And we were about to, and I, I'm just kind of giving you a little bit of context because we were about to switch to the book of Habakkuk uh, to go through, like, remember with humble peacemaking. And at some point we will. Um, but uh, current events just kind of kept coming up. And, and things like, for example, uh, the war in Ukraine, which, by the way, is still going on in the world, even though you don't hear about it much in the news anymore. Uh, the, shoot, the shooting at a school in Nashville had just happened, the, the shifting political landscape. And then one of the things that we uh, were just talking as leaders is as we anticipate 2024, we're anticipating uh, just a presidential election taking place. And if 2020 was of any indication of what 2024 is going to look like, uh, we're, we're in for a rough year. OK, and it, we're already seeing some rumblings. And so what we sensed was an invitation from the Holy Spirit uh, to continue to boldly and deeply enter into revelation to see what the Spirit says to us. And so I really hope that uh, as we've been going through revelation and now we're on chapter 13, that this has been one of these places and one of these books that has been stirring uh, just your affection for the Lord. And it's been stirring in such a way that uh, revelation is no longer something that is scary because you don't understand but it's actually a, a book that you're entering into and you're seeing, hey, like this isn't something that we need to avoid with the 10 foot pole, right? right? This is something that we can actually understand and engage in, especially yes. whenever you consider the context and everything that John is doing, what Jesus shows to John. That's right. So with that said, we're in a series called Remember the Lamb. And we've been looking at how Jesus defeats evil, both in the seen yes. and the unseen. 
Uh, we've been challenged to remember that the way of the Lamb is the way of peace that destroys evil, redeems the world, and calls us to reign with Him. His perfect justice then triumphs over evil. Therefore, following His way has implications for the way that we live in society, relate with others, and deal with injustice. And so here are the three hopes that we've been repeating every single week. Uh, first, that our eyes would be open to the spiritual realities of injustice. We're going to see that here today even clearer. Uh, that we would come to see and know Jesus' righteousness that sets all things right. And then that we would step into our call as peacemakers and live in the way of peace. And I've consistently said it's the opening of the eyes to realize what Jesus is doing. And then it's being able to step into and into what Jesus invites us into to join him in the renewal of all things. So last week, let's jump into this, because I think that last week uh, I was listening to the uh, to the message because I was with the kids last week, which was awesome. Uh, But Lauren uh, started what was a long scene of of what one commentator calls the theological center uh, of revelation. Uh, We're going to continue the scene today, but I also believe that it is important to remind you of what Lauren taught last week, okay, Uh, to set us up for what is happening in our reading of Revelation 13, okay? So in Revelation 12, there's uh, an important word that John uses there, and it's the word sign. Uh, So we see the sign of a red dragon who is identified then as Satan or his name meaning the accuser or the deceiver. And he is waiting for the great sign of a woman who John describes or what he sees is a woman who is clothed with the sun, the moon under her feet and and her head and on her head, a crown of 12 stars. And what this woman is doing, this great sign of a woman Satan is standing next to her and he's waiting for her to give birth to a child who is not a sign. But then Lauren brilliantly just helped us navigate that this is actually Jesus. What we are invited into or what John is seeing is the scene at the manger. And if you never really stop to consider this, what John is pointing out is that not only is Jesus being born, but Satan is right there. Wow. Just gives a new perspective to Advent. And what the dragon, there you go. And what the dragon was intent on destroying is that he was intent on destroying the child. But when this woman's son was born, uh, Revelation says that the child was caught immediately caught up with God and the dragon could not kill the child. And so we know that the woman then is a sign simultaneously for Israel, for Mary and the church. And um, the child is not a sign because, again, uh, John didn't identify the child as a sign, but it was an actual child, Jesus, who is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Now, I want to remind you of something. The book of Revelation is called the revelation of Jesus Christ. Because what it is doing is that it is giving a full disclosure of who Jesus is. And what it does is that it unveils Jesus. So 
Think about that as you read through Revelation. This is unveiling Jesus, not making Jesus more complicated. And in the beginning of this long scene, the birth of Jesus then is what ramps up the cosmic war on earth. And the reason why this ramps up the cosmic war on earth is because the kingdom of darkness hates the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness is hell bent on destroying the kingdom of God. And so when the dragon couldn't destroy the woman's child, He goes after the next best thing. He goes after the woman and he goes after the rest of the woman's offspring who, again, Lauren brilliantly helped us see that uh, the woman is Israel, Mary, and the church all wrapped up into one sign. And Revelation 12, 17 identifies her offspring as really those who keep God's commands and hold fast their testimony about Jesus. Who is John describing? Typically, you don't want to insert yourself into a text as you're reading it. However, when he gives a description of those who keep God's commands and hold fast their testimony about Jesus, he's describing us, we who have confessed Jesus as our Lord and Savior and believe that God raised him from the dead. So who is he coming after? He's coming after God's people. He's coming after the church. He's coming after those who believe that the child is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Yes. So let's lean in here real quick. And that is the dragon doesn't come after us then in a direct way. (laughs) Revelation, what Revelation 13 is about is about two beasts that the dragon counts as allies to come after God's people. And these two beasts are the beast out of the sea and the beast out of the earth. And so here's my outline for today. We, I want to identify the two beasts and then I want to draw out implications on how to engage in this war as the people of God. Got it? Got it. Let's jump in. Here we go. Now, In order to identify the beast, I do think that it's important to remind you of a couple of things in the book of Daniel, because what Revelation 13 is doing is that it's pointing to the book of Daniel. And first, draw your attention to King Nebuchadnezzar. King Nebuchadnezzar founded and established Babylon. Now, Just write Babylon down if you want to underline it, uh, big letters, whatever. Just know that this city will be important as we move forward in Revelation. Or this this nation is important as we move forward in Revelation. In Daniel 4, Nebuchadnezzar grew prideful and boastful to the point that God intervened and God removed Nebuchadnezzar's authority and drove him away from the people in his kingdom to live with wild animals so so essentially so in order to identify the beast i think it's important for you uh it's important uh to remind you of a couple of things then in the uh in, in this book that when nebuchadnezzar when his authority was removed and he was driven away from his people he was put along with the wild animals and essentially The king who was given authority to rule 
was his authority was taken taken away and as he lived with the wild animals the king became a beast because of his pride Daniel chapter 4 verse 33 says that he ate grass like the ox his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claws of a bird so take what happened to Nebuchadnezzar and then let's fast forward to Daniel chapter 7 and apply that to Daniel's vision here's Daniel's vision in Daniel 7 Daniel has a vision of four beasts one that was like a lion one like a bear one like a leopard and one that was a terrifying frightening powerful and boastful beast and these beasts in daniel are revealed then by god to daniel to be kingdoms of the earth that like nebuchadnezzar exalted themselves and pridefully stepped out on their own and did not praise praise exalt and glorify god and instead of being human and acknowledging where their authority came from they attempted to exalt themselves above god and they blasphemed and slandered his name and so they were either turned into or are portrayed as beast so i want you to hold this picture in one hand that whenever rulers and authorities men and women remove themselves from under the authority of God they cease to be human and they begin to act as beast okay and what we discover in Revelation 13 about the beast is that essentially we're going to look at some of the language and what I, I want to go ahead and just say here is that these bit this beast mimic the kingdom of God so as to deceive and destroy and what essentially gets created in this moment is, I'm, I'm gonna use a word, this is not a heretical word, this is actually, uh, when I was reading just different commentators, like this is actually what John is getting at. What gets created is a counterfeit trinity. Bent on deceiving and destroying. All right, watch this. The beast out of the sea then is portrayed as this is by, by the way, not a like a this is just an artist rendering. And so I just want to make sure that I say that the beast out of the sea. <laughs> it's not a f actual picture. The beast out of the sea is portrayed as having ten horns with crowns on them, seven heads with blasphemous names on them, resembling a leopard feet like a bear, a mouth like a lion. And the beast had been given power, authority in the throne of the dragon, Satan. And one of the heads seemed like it had a fatal wound, but the wound had been healed. He had a mouth that uttered proud words and blasphemies and slandered God in his kingdom. And it was given the power to wage war against God's people. And the authority given to him was to rule over, ready? Here it is, rule over every tribe, people, language, and nation. And those who were not sealed worshipped the beast. 
Those that were not sealed worshipped the beast. Now, we also see the second beast or the beast out of the earth. The beast had two horns like and looked like a lamb, but he spoke like a dragon. He exercises authority on behalf of the beast out of the sea, and he makes the inhabitants of the earth worship the beast out of the sea. Do you see that? And he has a fatal wound that had been healed. And this beast is also given the power to perform signs to deceive. What kind of sign? You ready? This sign was to cause fire to come down from heaven to, to the earth. And so the second beast sets up an image or an idol in honor of the first beast. And this image is able to speak so that no one who, um, uh, so that anyone who refused to worship this beast or this image would be killed. So the beast out of the sea is also able to seal or mark. And the mark that it gives is the famous number 666. So... Who are these beasts and what do they represent? Thanks for asking. Here we go. So the beast out of the sea. You see, the hearers of Revelation would have immediately connected that the beast out of the sea, you ready, was political powers. As a result of the fact that it resembled the four beasts in Daniel. And so now that we know that, let's look at the language used to describe political powers. Political powers have great authority, verses 2 and 5. Because of their great authority, the, here's the phrase, inhabitants of the earth. Remember when, we, when Revelation uses this phrase, inhabitants of the earth, is describing anyone who has not been sealed by the Holy Spirit. And so because of the great authority, the inhabitants, the inhabitants of the earth worshiped the beast for verses four and eight. And they directed their worship to the beast by saying, who is like the beast? Who can wage war against it? What are those questions? Can you hear the arrogance, the pride and the exaltation of political power in that? And what does political power do? It wages war and it kills. And what we have seen throughout history and what we saw in the death of Jesus is that political power comes against anyone that doesn't pledge complete and total allegiance to that political power. So the people of God pledge allegiance to God. And we see throughout scriptures that political powers would rise to prominence and the authority that is given to them would corrupt them. They executed their government as divine authority instead of executing it under divine authority. And so these kingdoms didn't submit to the sovereign rule of God and they don't come um, after those that pledge allegiance to their kingdom. Political powers consider those who are not loyal to their kingdom as treasonous. They have committed treason. They eventually come after those that believe and confess that there is a sovereign ruler who rules, um, who rules the universe 
a king of kings and the Lord of lords, whose kingdom is not of this world and is far greater than any kingdom in this world. And so this belief is a threat to their rule, to their authority, and to their reign. I mean, stop and consider this real quick. This is exactly what happened to Jesus. Have you ever stopped to consider that Jesus was a pacifist? And yet political rulers of his day were afraid that he was going to overthrow their kingdom even though he carried no sword, he had no armor, and he, and he had no horse. As a matter of fact, he rode in on a donkey. Right? And so what does the beast out of the sea do? He is given authority by Satan to wage war against God's holy people, to conquer them. And while we live on this earth, we have seen throughout history and we will continue to see that this beast, um, that this beast has given fatal wounds where kingdoms and nations will disappear. Consider Babylon, Macedonia, Greece, Rome, Byzantium. But the wound will be healed and political power will keep coming back. Now, this isn't new to our day. Satan comes at God's people through an ally he gives authority to, to manipulate and control so as to destroy the ones that are the next best thing to Jesus since he can't have Jesus himself. He comes after those whose allegiance and loyalties are placed in Jesus. Got it? So what about the second beast, the beast out of the earth? The second beast is a little bit more nuanced. It's described as, um, hold on, let me go back. It's described as a lamb who exercises authority, makes people worship, performs great signs, sets up an image to be worshiped. It gives its breath to this image so that it could speak. Does anyone except Lauren, and maybe for those of you who saw the next slide as I was flipping to it, want to take a stab at what this beast is? You saw it. Great. It's religion. Now, look at the language. It is like a lamb, but speaks like a dragon. It exercises authority on behalf of the first beast. It performs great signs. And this great sign is like Elijah, a prophet, calling fire down from heaven. And it deceives the inhabitants of the earth, of those that were not sealed by the Holy Spirit. It sets up idols to the first beast, and it gives breath for the idol to speak. And like the Spirit of God, seals with the mark. Now, before you go off thinking, this is it, this is the moment when Ecclesia City is going to become a cult, or when you are walking away, rather, from church and you say, religion isn't for me, listen. <laughs> Let me explain what I mean by the beast out of the earth being a sign for religion. We have seen so far in Revelation that the seven churches were contending against compromise. 
They had false prophets among them that were teaching them and encouraging them to compromise in sexual immorality, food sacrificed to idols, or and or participate in the Dea Romana, which is the worship of the emperor or worship of political power. And the religious powers of John's day, as they continued to be in our day, they were influential. They deceived many into believing this, I, this word syncretism, syncretism, which is merging two or more religions into one belief. And syncretism in John's day was allowed. You see what the crushing pressure that we talked about in Smyrna is what this beast is executing, but he's not just doing it on Smyrna, but he's doing it on the entire people of God. What this beast says is compromise. This beast says, seek your own pleasure. This beast says, worship the idols of self-gratification and lust. Worship power, worship political power, seek out authority, seek out power to, 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 to expand then the kingdom of darkness because you're, you're now seeking to exercise divine authority instead of being under divine authority. And to be more specific with what is going on in our time in this nation, in the nation uh, that we live in, this beast influences current political candidates to wine and dine the church, hoping for the church's approval to win an election. It causes the church to compromise because it receives the benefits and the protections it wants at a cost. It has a form of godliness, but ends up denying the power of God. And what religion does is that it eventually convinces you to worship Jesus in private, just don't do it in public. It's a reverse exorcism. We, instead of taking the demons out, it's taking Jesus out. And it's taking his reign out of society and it reduces the church to be an, an ineffective, cold, and irrelevant hobby as opposed to a kingdom that was purchased by the slain lamb. Wow. And what this produces then is a mark, a mark that is on your right hand or on your forehead. And here's the mark, 666. Now, here's the phrase that I want you to remember. You ready? Not all is like what it seems. Yep. This is not a tattoo that is tattooed on your, on your hand or on your forehead. This is not an implanted microchip, you know, between your index finger and your middle finger. This is not your vaccination card for those of you that have one. This is not a, a barcode that is put on your forehead or on your hand. You see, putting a permanent name on you is a way of saying character. In the time when Revelation was written, if you knew a person's name, you knew their character. 
In his commentary on the book of Revelation, G.K. Beale shows that the forehead represents an ideological commitment and the hand is the practical outworking of that commitment. And so to put it together, receiving the mark of the beast is ideologically committing to the false or the counterfeit trinities, authority and compromise and practically walking it out every day. It means I'm going to be under my own authority. I'm going to disregard God and I'm going to worship whatever it is that brings me pleasure. And so Satan has taken power, political power in particular, and he has taken the religious power that exists of this day and he is combining it and he's saying, let's form a trinity in order to deceive and to destroy. So I believe that every day you feel the weightiness of this. Mm, that's right. You feel the crushing pressure of Satan, political power and religion crushing in on you. You feel the injustices you see around you and your eyes are being opened then through this series even to the spiritual realities of how we got here in the first place. You see, Satan and his allies are not just after your allegiance. Do you see that? Mm -hmm. They are after the total destruction of the kingdom of God. They won't stop at you. Once they have you, they'll go on to the next one and to the next one. Because what Satan is after is the total destruction of the kingdom of God. And so this is an all-out war that is waged against Jesus' prayer to the Father. And Jesus' prayer to the Father is, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And Satan hates that. And what he is trying to do is to get you to have the character of the beast. To be a deceiver and a destroyer. You see, the reason why, uh, when, uh, I believe that whenever uh, John says, this calls for wisdom, let the person who has insight calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of man. I tell you, if you look up everything out there, there's so many different people. Some say it was Nero. Some say it was Hitler. Some say it was Stalin. Some say it's Joe Biden. Some say it's the current pope. I mean, there's, some say it was Donald Trump. The point is this. That when this number is, is put out, I believe that the wisdom that it calls for is just to recognize that if John is going to use sevens across the board to symbolize completeness and perfection, uh, and he uses three sevens at that, it's this idea is that Jesus is perfect, perfect, perfect. The kingdom of God is perfect, 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 just like he is holy, holy, holy. It's like this, uh, it, it's, it's this idea of like he's infinitely yeah. holy yeah. and what 666 is is just shy of seven is that as much as the enemy will try to be perfect like God, he will always show, uh, he will always and forever be imperfect, imperfect, imperfect. Yeah. He will always show up and be uh, not, n- not more than or not equal to, but less than, less than, less yes. than, unequal to, unequal to, unequal to. Yes. 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 
And so as much as you try to go after the idols or the beast of the sea and the earth or the idols of, of political power and religion, you will always end up short. Yep, that's right. One short over and over and over again. And so what is the church to do in the time that this describes as 42 months given to these beasts to come onto the earth? Lauren helped us see, and we saw even before that, that 42 months is, is three and a half years. But it's not this literal time frame. 42 months was uh, the people, the hearers would have heard that that's the time it took for Israel to get from the, uh, the slavery into the promised land. Yeah. And so what, what, what John is saying here is that between the time that Jesus is born of what happened in the last chapter to the time that he comes back, these allies and the dragon or this counterfeit trinity is going to be at work. So what are we to do between Jesus' birth and his return? What is the church to do? What is the kingdom of God to do on this earth? The message to us is the same as it was to the seven churches. Each time, Jesus says to each of the churches, to the one who is victorious, I will. Now, I believe Revelation 13 gives us more context for what Jesus means by to the one who is victorious. Confronting political powers calls for patient endurance and faithfulness, which is in verse 10. And confronting religion calls for wisdom. Now, remember that the refrain that we've been repeating is that the way of the Lamb is the way of service, suffering, and death. And we are called to remember the Lamb in the way that we engage in our world. Paul admonishes us in Romans 13 then, watch this, and and follow me here because I don't want this to be confusing to be subject then to governing authorities for they have been established by God and rebelling against political authorities then is rebelling against God. You see, Paul tells us to be contributing citizens, to pay our taxes to these authorities who give their full time governing our societies. And scripture would call us to be faithful to fulfill our duties as citizens. That faithfulness also includes, though, calling out injustices and working towards the restoration of broken people, the restoration of families, and the restoration of whole societies in every sphere of influence that the Lord places you in. That's right. And it also calls us to endure with patience. Now, we've said it before and I'll say it again. As the kingdom of God is expanding on the earth, the kingdom of darkness is going to resist it. And it's going to unleash hell to resist it. I mean, beasts out of the sea and out of the earth are coming out. The four horsemen of the apocalypse are coming out. If this doesn't terrify you, hell is being unleashed, right? And what we are up against are political powers then who have been removed from under the divine authority of God in imitation of the Lamb by Satan. And in this, they rule in a way that begins with deception 
And I said, it begins with deception and leads to destruction. And what we see about political powers is that they, it begins with deception and it leads all the way up to annihilation and genocide. Mm -hmm. And so what scripture would say is that the people of God then must endure with patience. And if you haven't solidified this yet, let me be the one that whenever you get here, whenever, if the times in our time get like this, just know this, there are going to be martyrs. There are going to be those that, as verse 10 says, who will go into captivity and they will be killed by the sword. And yet we must endure patiently praying for Jesus to come as we learned in chapter 7 and faithfully join Jesus in the renewal of all things until his return. Let that sit for a little bit. Because not only are we dealing with political powers and power and authority in general, we're also contending against religion. You see, Revelation 13 says, This calls for wisdom. When scripture calls for wisdom, it defines walking in wisdom in the book of Proverbs as beginning with the fear of the Lord. And so here's what I want to do. I want us to remember the Lord. Let's turn a few pages back because I want us to come back to this often. And this is Revelation chapter 4, beginning in verse 2. If wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord, let's look at who the Lord is. There before me was a throne in heaven, this is verse 2, with someone sitting on it of chapter 4, Verse 3, and the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby. A rainbow that shone like an emerald encircled the throne. And surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones. And seated on them were 24 elders. And they were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. And from the throne came flashes of night lightning, rumblings and peals of thunder. And in front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing. And these are the seven spirits of God. And also in front of the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the center around the throne were four living creatures and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. And the first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. And the third had a face like a man. And the fourth was like a flying eagle. So it's this picture of God seated on the throne, surrounded by this beauty and majesty. And I won't go too deep into it because we've already covered it. But the thing that I want you to see is that here is God seated on the throne and there is lightning, rumbling, peals of thunder as it talks about. And there is these creatures that are around him and uh, and elders that are around him and what they're continually doing day and night and saying worthy is the lamb who was slain holy 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 is the lord if that doesn't cause awe and trembling in your heart yes. 
Let that be a moment for you to sit in and try to even get a glimpse of who Jesus and who, what, who, how, who God is as he's seated on the throne. Because when Revelation says that dealing with, revelation, with, with um, religion calls for wisdom, it is saying to fear the Lord lest we fall into compromise and idolatry. We must remember that the God we serve is not a brute beast out of the earth or out of the sea who deals authoritatively with people from every tribe, people, language, and nation. He is not the beast out of the sea who forces all people. Listen to the language. He forces people, great and small, rich and poor, free and slave, to have the character of a deceiver and an accuser. But Jesus is the slain lamb who with his blood purchased for God, ready? Persons from every tribe, language, people, and nation. He doesn't deal authoritatively with you. He doesn't force you. He purchased you. He died for you. His blood was shed for you. And he not only, he doesn't make you a servant or a slave again. It says that he purchased a kingdom and priest. He elevates your status to serve him and reign with him. So what remains at the center of it all is not a question about who rules, but it's a question about worship. Who will you worship? That in order to resist these beasts, we must not listen to the worship of, uh, uh, the call to worship the beast. Instead, we worship the lamb who was slain from the creation of the world. And so I want to end in the way that John Piper begins his book, Let the Nations Be Glad. And this is what he says. He says, missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate, not missions, because God is ultimate, not man. And when this age is over and the countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, missions will be no more. It is a temporary necessity. But worship, worship abides forever. So as we go into ministry time, I want to ask you, is, is, not where, not what area, but is the Holy Spirit highlighting where you have trusted in power and or religion instead of trusting in Jesus? You see, religion continually will have you to do. And what Jesus calls you to is to rest. Power 
corrupts absolute power, corrupts absolutely is the quote that I can't remember who said it at the top of my head right now. And then, where is the worship and affection of your heart placed? Because the way that we overcome Satan, the way that we overcome these allies of his, the way that we don't, aren't deceived by the counterfeit trinity is knowing who the actual trinity is. Yes. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. It's knowing that the Father is for you, that Jesus died for you, and that the Spirit empowers you. Mm 